You're listening to Time in the Word. These are terrible and trying times. Many give up on God because the task is perceived as overwhelming. However, apostasy is no excuse to quit. We must be faithful in service until He comes. As God's people, we have a duty to run and finish the race. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 12:13, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Here Jude lays out the program for restoring wayward Christians and sharing Christ with people in these last days of apostasy. Let us listen as Dr. Gonzalez continues his current study in Jude. Let's turn in our Bibles to Jude. We're going to be studying verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. As Christians, we are in the world, but not of the world. The Christian is not to be overcome by apostasy, rather through the constant and consistent study of God's word and by remaining vigilant, we are to overcome apostasy. Paul said in Romans 12, 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Though we are in and engaged with the world, God wants us to be separated, standing as bright lights in the darkness. Jude now assures the people of God that there is sufficient strength to continue in service even in times of false teaching and apostasy. We are to give attention to ourselves, to nurture ourselves, our faith, our relationship with the Lord. The believer's best bet is to stay close to the Lord and live in unbroken fellowship with Him. But how is this done is the question. Well, Jude lists four things we must do if we are going to overcome. First, we must build ourselves up. Listen to what he says in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. So Jude begins with the exhortation for believers to build themselves up in the most holy faith. This is an interesting term that Jude uses here. He didn't say build yourselves up in the faith, but in the most holy faith. This term is used only here in all of Scripture. The word holy means separate and set apart. It speaks of a faith that is distinguished from all others. Ours is a faith designed by God. It is not based upon the opinions or the speculations of man. Keep in mind that Jude is not speaking here of our personal faith in Christ. Rather, he's going back to the faith he spoke of earlier, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints in verse 3. This is God's entire revelation, the whole body of truth as contained in his word. Oliver B. Green said, and I quote, You can be assured that this most holy faith forms a foundation in pregnable to every attack by men or demons, close quote. The Word of God is vital to combating and overcoming apostasy. We have a faith that was once delivered. It is a completed revelation, not something to be added to. It does not change. It is the one and only established truth 
and there is no other. We often say that the Bible is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. Over the years, there has been a significant falling away from the fundamental truths of the faith. Men have replaced the Bible with tradition, with programs, with personalities. They have replaced the gospel with social causes. Christ said in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, You are mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. The Bible is God's word, and Christians must be people of the word. Why? Well, listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 4, 4, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in, and in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We, as Christians, must get back to the Word. We must test everything by the Word. We need to ensure that our doctrine is thoroughly biblical and that the stand we take is a stand on the most holy faith derived from the Word of God. Paul affirms that our foundation is the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, Ephesians 2.20. Jesus Christ and his gospel, found in the scriptures, is our foundation. God and his word are the sure rock on which we stand. From there the believer grows and matures as the word permeates their minds and fills their hearts. As we learn the Bible and as we understand its truth, we are strengthened and we are built up. Without the word, there is no spiritual growth or maturity. Without the gospel, nothing of eternal good will last. What is true in the physical world is also true in the spiritual world. Just like air, water, and food are critical for our physical survival, so is digesting God's word and its truth for our spiritual survival. We have something that the world knows nothing of. The Bible is the most neglected treasure in the entire world. The secret of our strength is the word of God. As we give ourselves to the study of the most holy faith, not only are we built up in, in the truth, but our personal faith is strengthened also. Paul said in Romans 10:17, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If we are going to stand and if we are going to contend and if we are going to overcome, we must be strong in the faith, but we must also have a strong faith. Strong faith is built upon the foundation of Holy Scripture. Again, Oliver B. Green said, and I quote, The only way to build yourself up on your faith is to assimilate and appropriate and literally take into your heart and life the Word of God. Close quote. There's a victory to be had, but to experience it, we must build ourselves up in the most holy faith. Herein lays the reason for so much personal failure in the Christian life. No Christian will ever be fruitful unless he is a doer of the word, not just a hearer, James 1, through 25. For it is God's word that produces faith in the heart of the believer. It is through the word of God that the believer is taught 
and corrected. It is also through the Word of God that the believer is strengthened to continue his walk with God. Psalm 119.92 says, Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. Many fail in times of trial, trial and tribulation. Many are unable to earnestly contend because they do not know or rely on the Word of God. This is our confidence. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 1 John 5, 4. Second, we engage the Spirit-filled power. Jude then assures believers that they can continue to strengthen themselves by praying in the Holy Spirit, or as the New Living Translation renders it, Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jude 20. Notice that this is not simply prayer, but prayer in the Holy Spirit. This is spirit-filled praying. It is prayer that gets a hold of God. Matthew Henry says, and I quote, Our prayers are the most likely to prevail when we pray in the Holy Spirit, that is, under His guidance and influence, according to the rule of His Word, with faith, fervency, and constant uh, persevering opportunity, close quote. John MacArthur says that it refers to, and I quote, praying for that which is consistent with the Spirit's will, His desires, directives, and decrees, although His will is revealed through the plain commands of Scripture. We as believers do not always know how to practically apply it to the various issues of life. Therefore, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us before the Father with genuine sympathy and inexpressible fervor. Of course, the Spirit's will and the Father's will and even praying in Jesus' name are one and the same. When we pray in the Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to Him, rest on His wisdom, seek His will, and trust in His power. Close quote. Prayer is the invitation of God to come directly into His presence to worship and to get help. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The believer needs mercy and grace to help in apostate times. And these are found only in the presence of God. Our Lord Jesus taught a great deal about prayer. Prayer meant more to him than food or sleep. At times, he would go into the mountains and pray at night. Forty days and nights in the wilderness were spent in prayer. Jesus prayed to have fellowship with the Father. Prayer was a natural thing for him. He was always in fellowship with the Father. He obeyed the Father and loved him. What a lesson for us to learn. Without prayer, we are powerless. Listen to what James says in James 4.2. You do not have because you do not ask. There is no power without prayer. And when there is prayer, many times the Holy Spirit is not in it. 
We live in a sad day when the prayer meeting is the least attended service in the average church. Many churches have done away with the midweek prayer meeting because of the lack of interest, the lack of attendance. Many of God's people are powerless because of the lack of prayer in the Holy Spirit. No wonder false teaching and apostasy runs unfettered in so many churches in America. Paul admonishes us uh, in no uncertain terms to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. When Peter was in prison, the Bible says, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church, Acts 12.5. A little later, we read of his supernatural release by the hand of an angel. Hudson Taylor said, and I quote, The power of prayer has never been tried to its full capacity in any church. If we want to see mighty wonders of divine power and grace wrought in the place of weakness, failure, and disappointment, let the whole church answer God's standing challenge. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and shew thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Jeremiah 33, 3. Someone has said, Satan trembles when he sees even the weakest saint upon his knees. Apostasy cannot survive amidst praying saints. The third thing we must do if we are going to overcome is we must cultivate God's love in our hearts. Look what it says in Jude 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Jude is not suggesting that we keep ourselves in such a way that we earn the love of God. God's love for us is not based on what we do. He loves us regardless. Such is the nature of God. It means that we must stay close to God and, uh, and his people, refusing to listen to false teachers who would try to pull us away. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So to stay in God's love is to remember that God first loved us. He took the initiative to accomplish our salvation. Obedience is the key. The false teachers had flouted obedience and thus stepped out of God's love. The Bible declares that God is love, 1 John 4, 8. So what does Jude mean when he says, keep yourselves in the love of God? The idea is that we need to cultivate the love of God in our hearts. God is never going to stop loving us. Nothing or no one is ever going to separate us from his love. Paul said so eloquently in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, or, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall 
be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The problem isn't God losing his love for us. It's our love growing cold for him. And Jude is warning us to put our relationship with God first. In wicked and apostate times, it is easy to get sidetracked and leave our first love. Jesus said of the last days in Matthew 24, 12, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Because there is such a great danger of our love for Christ growing cold and stagnant, we are warned, keep yourselves in the love of God. That word keep means to watch or to guard over. It is a military word that speaks of keeping an eye on a prisoner lest he escape. We must set up a watch and guard our love for the Lord. And then the final thing that we need to do to overcome is we must live with an expectation and an anticipation of his return. Look at verse 21, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Looking speaks of expectation and refers to the anticipation of our Lord's imminent return, which is our blessed hope, Titus 2.13. Our hearts ought to be fixed upon the heavens as we look and long for our Savior's return. In Philippians 3.20, Paul said, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The imminent return of Christ motivates the believer to live a holy life and promotes the purity and separation of the church from the world. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who has this hope, what hope? the coming of Christ for his church, the Christian who is living his life with the hope of Christ's any moment return, purifies himself. The Christian's duty is to live at all times the way he would want his Savior to find him living at the rapture. The promise of the imminent return of our Lord and Savior amidst the gloom of this apostate world is a beaming star of hope for the Christian. He is coming again. May we be found faithful and obedient when he appears. Father, we pray that you would continue to conform us to the image of your precious Son, our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Holy Spirit take your word and apply it to our hearts, write it in our hearts, engrave it in our hearts so that we may live out our faith in a way that brings you glory and honor, and so that we may be found faithful day in and day out, contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.